So they ride the, the water currents out of the pipe system. Um, eventually, they end up coming out of a fire hose. Just hurtling through the air. Hurtling through the air towards a burning building. Uh, they land in the burning building, demorph in the burning building, uh, run upstairs in the burning building, uh, morph birds, and fly out. Like, <laughs> um, they can't fly very far because Jake is too weak to stay in the air. So they land and demorph and begin to walk. Um, and they notice that it must be the Yamfoot because Jake is still sick even after morphing. Um, similar to how Axe is. Um, and Jake says, we'll try again after school tomorrow. If I'm not better, you'll have to go without me. I'm going home. Try to rest up. Uh, Cassie says that Marco and she will walk him back to his house. Um, and Rachel says that she's going to fly back to the barn, check on Axe. Um, and then I will call you at Jake's. Uh, Jake tells Tobias to go back to the barn as well. Stay there. Keep watch. Um, and, uh, if Axe tries to fight his way out of the stall, like, morph into something and stop him. Yeah, because Eric would not be able to. Yeah, and if his temperature gets close to 91.3, I told him. Right, okay, wow, man, my mind is gone. This sucks. Like, the flu, that's how it feels. Like, I have to. And then, like, he gets sick. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, enter probably the best uh, Cassie, Jake, Marco, OT3 content in the goddamn series. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Because Cassie and Marco walk Jake home. And they're both supporting Jake. Um, and He's heavy, also. He's, yeah, big Jake writes. Um, <laughs> and uh, like, Marco talking about the myriad of ways there is to, to describe throwing up. Yep. Because this is Marco. Yep. Because he's just filling the silence, really. Um. <laughs> Cassie says, like, I'm glad Marco was filling up the silence, even though I thought he could have come up with a better topic. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Marco is rate giving Jake's uh, uh, bouts of sick <laughs> uh, a rating out of four or a rating out of ten. I really uh, like Technicolor Yawns, a one I've never heard before. It is, yeah. Um, Jake throws up again, um, and then he kind of just collapses. And so Marco and Cassie literally have to carry him. Like, they, they join hands, uh, under, like, his thighs to support him, like, in a chair with their other arms around his back. And they just literally carry him all the way to his fucking house. And um, it's like, they, they're just breathing too hard to talk because, like, this is a difficult thing to do even for adults mm -hmm. to carry somebody like this. And the fact that they do it as 13 mm -hmm. year olds. Yep. Uh, so they get Jake up to his room and to bed. Um, they tell Jake's mom that he has the flu. Uh, and Jake says, don't let Tom see me in case I morph. Yep. Um, Marco hustles Jake over to the bathroom. Uh, Cassie, uh, talks to Rachel, who has since called Jake's house. 
Um, Rachel says, Jake's lucky. Our other friend has a much, much worse case of the flu. Our other friend says he thinks Jake will just get the usual flu. You know, fever, throwing up, headache. Our friend has some long, partially delirious explanation that you don't want to hear. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear it. The worst news is that they're probably all going to get sick. This strain of the flu is extremely contagious. Um, which is bad, because if they all get sick, then who's gonna do anything to save gonna, Axe or yeah. Aftrand? Oh, uh, God. Um, Cassie... Real lucky then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Cassie has a nightmare about the operation. Like, being on ER, Noah Weil is there. Yep, and operating on her dad instead of Axe, and then operating on Axe, but not knowing where to make the incision. Um, Jake, Marco, Rachel, and Tobias are, like, behind the glass of an observation room, and they're tapping on the glass. Yep. Uh, and then she wakes up to her mom tapping on her door. Uh, she's basically, or she's very close to being late for school, so she is, like, running out the door. Um, she and Marco both took turns watching Jake, like, sitting as flies on Jake's wall, um, and keeping watch over him while he slept in order to make sure that he doesn't demorph or say anything if, like, in his delirium that Tom would overhear. Um, <clears throat> uh, so... Uh, Cassie checks on Axe before she goes to school. It is Axe at nine. Apologizes. Apo yeah. He, he apologizes, apologizes for being sick. I know. <laughs> um, his temperature has dropped during the night, but less than a degree. Ninety-four point four. Mm -hmm. There was still some time. Yep. Uh, Cassie pets Axe. Uh, the soft fur on Axe's neck. Um, and tells him that even warriors get sick sometimes. It's not your fault. Uh, and Tobias says that he has also told Axe the same thing. Um, and then like a she, million times. A million times, which my heart. Oh. <laughs> um, and so she rushes to school. Rachel isn't anywhere to be found. Um, and she is like running around kind of panicked that she can't find Rachel what anywhere. Um so she like cuts class, goes to the payphone outside the gym and calls Rachel's house and Rachel Rachel's mom is like, "Yeah, she was throwing up half the night. She just fell asleep." Yep. Um <clears throat> So that's two of the anamorphs, well, three of the anamorphs down. Uh Cassie goes to lunch. She's hoping to run into Marco, uh, but instead Mr. Tidwell uh, approaches her and pulls her aside. We need to talk about the Spanish club party. Mm-hmm. He was trying to sound calm, but I could hear the tension in his voice. Um, so he takes them into an empty classroom. And he says, Visser 3 will be returning earlier than expected. After its interrogation, maybe as early as 8 tonight. You have to act quickly. Okay, uh, odds that he got bored at the seminar. <laughs> odds that like he just... killed the person giving the seminar. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this is boring, I already know this, fuck you. I'm yeah. leaving. Mm -hmm. like, but sorry, you can't leave, this is like mandatory, I'm leaving! Mm -hmm. 
but you can't. I did. D- you're dead now. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, I'm leaving. And mm-hmm. everybody's like, okay, bye. Mm-hmm. We'll just put down that you did the seminar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Cassie is musing on, like, whether, uh, like. How the Yerk like how is the Yerk is, yeah controlling, controlling Mister Tidwell yeah <laughs> um like it, it, musing on was the Yerk tightening the muscles in Mister Tidwell's throat to create that sound of tension I'd picked up on um is it all a ruse is it all a trap um and she's like why did you come to me you say you know all about us so you must know Jake is our leader why not go to him and Mister Tidwell says Aftran trusts you only you she said you had proven yourself to her I. What this brief minor tangent mm-hmm. is just how much Cassie thinks like the 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 nuances of how in depth the Yerk has to think to control somebody. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, is it like all conscious thought? Like does the mm-hmm. Yerk have to like think about this? Mm-hmm. And I just I think that's really interesting that she's focusing on the how of it working. Yeah, because um, I think some of it is morbid curiosity, mm-hmm. um, while also being like genuinely interested in like this other like race of creatures and how they work. After having had one in her head, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. It, it it's interesting because it's also I think a way of Cassie trying to more empathize with mm-hmm. this other species by trying to figure out how they work. Yeah, it's. Is the Yerk experiencing this emotion and that that is what is causing the host to display this emotion or is it all manipulation? Is it all manipulation? Exactly. Yeah. Like not being sure if Yerks can feel like emotions that way and if they have to manipulate them Mm -hmm. to show them or is this like an actual manipulation? The Yerk is manipulating me Mm -hmm. uh, and all that. Like it's it's interesting because this is also shit that I think about. Right. So it's interesting seeing it in a character in a book. Right. Thinking like this much about speculative biology. <laughs> That's basically what this is. Uh, so <laughs> it's good. Cassie asks about uh, the real human Tidwell. And Ilum explains, when I first entered Mr. Tidwell, I was not part of the peace movement. He was an involuntary host. No. That is too nice a way to say it. He was my host, my slave. His eyes looked a little more watery than usual. Could the Yerk control functions that were involuntary for humans? Could the Yerk just push a neuron or something and stimulate a host's tear ducts? It was partly experiencing Mr. Tidwell's distress that led me to join the movement, Ilum continued. His howls of fury and agony forced me to accept what I had done to him. At the same time, I began to hear about a group of Yerks who thought it was wrong to take an unwilling host. I nodded. It made sense to me. Hearing the endless cries of another sentient creature, knowing you had caused its pain, how could that fail to have an effect? Then I remembered something Aftran had told me. To most Yerks, humans are like pigs. Just meat. Oink, oink. It didn't happen- It is- Go ahead. always so interesting- I'm sorry I keep, like- You're fine. Jutting in like this, but it's always so interesting when we get this kind of, like, thought from Cassie as well- concerning like the enslavement of another people considering like she is the black character Mm -hmm. um and like her her 
like one of her first thoughts is like it made sense like how like hearing another creature like being in pain like that would have an effect on somebody and then remembering oh yeah but yurks are slavers and yeah humans are not people to them yeah and even though like a lot of that like in the background stuff of her being a black character's subtext unfortunately mm -hmm. it's this is one of those books where like you still get that even if she's not explicitly saying the same thing that parallel is there and you know like in some way she has either thought about it before or is thinking about it and it's just not something she wanted to put here i in this retelling I don't know, because I think there's definitely an argument to be made here. Like, I think, I think a black character, and uh, again, I am very white. Uh, I'm also so very white. Please, please tell me if this is also how you might interpret this. Um, if, if you are a black listener, um, I yes, think, <laughs> I think that the way a character who is written to be black might turn this is instead of saying then I remembered that after and told me that to most Yorks humans are pigs that it would be but then again people enslaved other people for hundreds of years. Yeah that does make sense. You know this could be I don't know uh, the uh, ethnicity of the ghostwriter for this book of course but like K.A. and Michael Grant both are white people. <laughs> yeah. And the ghostwriters are following their outlines, so this could also be something that maybe they also were like, let's not do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, unless we ask both of them directly, we'll never know if that's what happened here. Mm-hmm. Looks... And they may not remember either. Yeah. Um, it looks to me like Melinda Metz is also white. Looking okay. at her website. Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's... I, I think that this is another example of like it It's like it, it it's like just brushing past like where this should be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like you, you, you made a pass at it and you missed the mark. Yeah. You would you would expect there to be some like more reflection um yeah. coming from a, a black character and there's not. Um, it's 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 weird too the way that uh ka and like michael grant were both like we wanted to make sure that like kids understood like war is terrible and getting like these books go hard into that but mm -hmm. they don't go hard into like some of the things that could color this for the kids yeah like what they know and what they've experienced yeah. especially considering like cassie is black Marco is Hispanic. Um, Rachel and Jake are both Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's. It, I am also coming from a place of a little less faith in them to handle that stuff, right? Because after this book, we're going to read Megamorphs three. Oh, uh, no. and I'm assuming that one is a uh, like grimace, grimacing emoji. Yeah, like the. <sighs> Because the, the conceit of Megamorphs 3 is, like, the first couple of chapters are alternate timeline bullshit. 
And then oh. they realize that someone has been fucking around with time, so then they have to, like, go on an adventure to stop him. Um, oh, no. Oh. And so, like, the first bit, the first few chapters in that alternate timeline are skeevy as fuck. And, like, it's meant to be, but It's also, meant to probably be, like, that uncanny, like, there's something wrong here. Yeah, like, it's it's meant to be bad, but it is... It is bad in ways that, like, feel worse. Because... It, it doesn't It doesn't give, like, what they were probably trying to go for. The feeling doesn't yeah, hit the, because, the way that it should. Because the way that they portray it... <clears throat> and spoilers for Megan Wars 3. That's fine. Like, Cassie is a slave owner in there. Uh, which is, like... What? I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Hold on, wait! Exactly. No! Uh, and, like, it's very bad because, like, you don't just, like, hit the reset button on, uh, on a universe and say, like, oh, everything's different, except that these kids grew up in almost exactly the same kind of positions that they did now, except that the world around them is a little different, like, there's still slavery. Um, and then be like, oh, yeah, and now Cassie, who is the, the moralistic heart, who in this book is talking about hearing the endless cries of another sentient creature, knowing you caused its pain, and how could that fail to have an effect? Owning a slave is bad. Bad writing. K hey, hey, um, K-A and Michael, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, like... It's <laughs> if if you squint, you can see what they were going for, right? Like they were going. But you for, shouldn't have to squint with this. Exactly, they were going for like, hey, isn't this fucked up? But like, they did not hire a sensitivity reader, did they? No, or like somebody to consult with on this. No, uh, they they should have. Yeah, it's bad. Um, and so like coming we at remove that book from the series. <laughs> And it's, it's weird because, like, the rest of the book is pretty good and has some really interesting things to say. It's just, like, that first bit, I wish it had been totally different. Uh, but it's not. Anyway. Oh, God. Um, I'm not excited for that one. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot. Uh, mm. But, um... That's why I'm coming I to things like this. Weird. And that's, like, a big cornerstone in the this kind of idea that... Cassie is supposed to be black, but she's not written as black. Yeah. Um, and it's so. It's the same way, like, Marco's supposed to be Hispanic, but he's not written as Hispanic. Exactly. Um, and. Or Latino? Uh, I don't remember. I think his, I think his mother is, I think it's implied she's Mexican. So Latino. Yeah. Um, so. But yeah, so, like, when I see things like this, I'm like, all right, you know, this definitely could have, there is definitely other ways that this could have been written in order to highlight the fact that Cassie is black and it does not. And that just reinforces this idea that Cassie is a white character. Um, in a lot of I ways. know that they have said, like, there are things we would want to change if we could, like, do this series over again. I sincerely hope that this is one of those things. I So the thing is that they are old white boomers. Yeah. And, like, they're really progressive for old white boomers, but they're also, like, they're capital L liberals. 
Yeah, I follow both of them on Twitter. I'm aware. Yeah, and like, I, I am glad we have them and not she who must not be named. But like, yes. you know, it's. I don't necessarily have faith that if they did it over again, they would catch this. Um, yeah. I would hope uh, that what? they would listen enough to other people to, like, be able to do that. But what I would probably hope for is like if they ever did revisit the series which they probably won't but if they ever did they would hire like consultants and sensitivity readers for this kind of stuff since that is more common now yeah in the industry to do especially when handling really heavy subjects like this mm -hmm. like i don't think that they would need to hire somebody when it comes to the war aspects mm -hmm. they did that real good mm -hmm. but it's the other things involved with it yeah. like we talked about that in the hork chronicles yeah. like it's one of those things where it's like they can benefit from that. Yeah. It's they're they're not coming at it from a place of like bad faith or like it's ignorance. It's, it's ignorance and just not being exposed to that at all. Um yeah. and there's some blame to be placed on them for not like seeking out that information. But also because yeah, it's definitely a thing that they could have done and were at least tangentially aware of. A thing that they could do. Right. Because there's not an excuse for that. Yeah. I you don't, can reach out. I think Scholastic holds a lot of the blame for that. Um, in yeah. terms of like when did, this was they written. Were writing these also like yeah. real fast. Yeah. They were coming out a book a month. Um, no. <laughs> and like K.A. and Michael Grant were not, they did not have money at all like there were periods yeah. of time where where they were homeless yeah um, i've seen them talk about it on twitter before and uh so like i don't uh you know i think there are definitely some good reasons why they wouldn't have thought of like hey maybe we should contact someone to pass uh you know pass this by yeah. before we publish it scholastic wouldn't have hired them for them they would have right. had to do that out of their own pocket right because on uh, as much as we we are all of the Scholastic Book Fair and what it brings to schools, this is still a very large publishing company that can get away with a bunch of shit. Yeah, and frankly, they were pretty predatory uh, when they bought the rights to Animorphs. Like, the reason why we don't have more Animorph shit happening is because Michael Grant and K.A. Applegate no longer hold the rights to Animorphs. Ah. Um, like, Scholastic took advantage of them and bought it off them. And gave them a relatively shitty deal. Uh, and they have regretted it ever since. <laughs> um, and buying it back is probably way more money than they exactly. can put down on it. Yeah. At this point. And, which is wild considering the books are out of print. They were. Um, oh, they were? Are they back in print again? They're not. They're not. It's the first 10 are. I just the first okay because they did the the like the fancy new covers oh, and like they did right. the updating and making it so that it's not as dated uh by changing like snes to game system like bullshit like that um <laughs> but then it didn't it didn't cause like flocks and flocks of more people to come and buy the series because they didn't fucking advertise it yeah, like, and... they probably just were like, oh, let's just send these out to the Scholastic Book Fairs, and these kids are like, yeah. Um, but the Scholastic Book Fair sells manga now, why would I buy this? Yeah. Uh, so, they basically were like, alright, well, that didn't work, too bad. 
at least the yeah, I, the audiobooks are getting some really good traction um yeah and the like, audiobooks are good yeah they are and the voice actors for them the voice actors the, the readers for them are very good <laughs> they're voice actors they are voice actors because they're you know a different person reads there's a jake and a rachel yeah um but they're up to like, like i've been doing like voice acting audition stuff and like you can you can audition to voice act an audiobook it mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. that is a thing you can do uh those pay well if you can get into them mm -hmm. um but yeah the the it's I, I put a lot of blame on scholastic and the time period and where they were in that situation and i have hope that if anything were to come back around that they like if anybody could take the time and sit them down and be like, hey, these are where these problems are, that they, I think that they would be accepting of that. But they've for a variety probably, of reasons, that's not, like, in the cards. Yeah, they've probably had people at them about this stuff yeah. on Twitter. And, yeah. like, we know at least Michael Grant follows a bunch of the <laughs> podcasts. Yeah. Michael Grant is much more involved on Twitter because he's old and cantankerous, and I love him for it. Um, yeah, whereas Ka is usually just either she yeah. talks about something. She's or much she's more professional. Yeah, yeah, because she's actively publishing for like little kids. Yes. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I would uh, if I would call like uh what is it the the one and only Ivan still is pretty heavy for a kids book. Well, yeah, it's it. She still doesn't play with kids' gloves, but it is for like it's for young and younger audience than Animorphs was. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, uh, we've been on this tangent for way too long. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> uh, we have opinions. <clears throat> it's fine, and the book starts getting heavier from here. Yeah, like you thought it was heavy before, it gets heavier. Yeah, we're about we halfway through. Needed a slight tangent. So okay. So, Ilum is talking about how he kind of came over to the good side. Um, it didn't happen all at once. He gradually realized that he didn't want to inhabit Tib Tidwell's body if it meant sacrificing his freedom for mine. Um, and now, now Mr. Tidwell has something to say. I am repeating his thoughts as I hear them. Can't you let him talk for himself? I asked. I am speaking for myself, Tidwell said. How can I know that? You can't. I hesitated. Okay, what do you want to say? Cassie, I invited him to stay in my body, Mr. Tidwell explained. I thought together we could do more peace than he could do alone. He is within me now with my permission. There was no change in his voice or manner, but there wouldn't be. Tidwell swallowed hard. My wife died a few years ago. For a long time, I didn't care about anything. I stumbled through my life, getting myself to school, getting home again. He leaned forward, his eyes locked on my face. When Ilum gave me my freedom back, I realized I wanted to do something with it, so I decided to join the fight. What could be more important, he said. And Ilum and I, we've become friends. He's actually very good company. I love it so much. I love the it picture we get of Ilum and Tidwell's <sighs> relationship from, like, these two paragraphs. It is very good. And, um... It's it it showcases the the like a lot of the times and caveat here the thing I'm about to say does get used by bad faith actors when they're trying to argue certain things but it does show that there are a lot of cases where in 
situations like this, there are people involved that don't want to be doing what they're doing. And when they realize, oh, I don't actually want to be doing this, they flip. Mm -hmm. And this is that is a thing that happens because war is not black and white as much as we want to believe it is. And again, this argument does get used by bad faith actors, despite the fact that it is a thing that does actually happen. And the bad faith actors use it to excuse their own actions. It's not an excuse. And I don't. And Ilum specifically is like, I'm not excusing my actions. Mm-hmm. And this is a good version of this argument, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we do see I, demonstrable change in Ilum. Yes. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it, he does actually change. It's not like him just saying it. And again, like Cassie said, like, how can I know that? It's like, you can't, you just have to trust me on this. And she does. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out, um, so I have, um, OSDD or, um, uh, PSDD. It's, uh, it's a version of a, a dissociative identity disorder. Um, I am not the only person here. <laughs> the way that the swap between Ilum and Tidwell is done is really, really good. Like, this is one of those things, like, as I was reading it, I was like, yeah, this is how it happens. You're not always going to notice whatsoever. Because a lot of times, like, the Yerk has learned to act like Mr. Tidwell, right? Mm-hmm. This is the case of Mr. Tidwell is the host. Ilum is a, for lack of a better word, a headmate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's not the original being that inhabited the body. He's not the original personality, but he has learned to act as Mr. Tidwell so that people who don't know aren't going to pick up on it, right? Mm-hmm. The, this, this is a thing that happens, and when swaps happen, you don't always know. There could be some small tells. But a lot of the times they have to be exaggerated for a little bit before they become natural again. Because headmates will get so used to acting a certain way. Um, so it's just, I, mini tangent, just wanted to say that was done well. I know that that is not what KA was doing, <laughs> uh, nor the ghostwriter. That's not what they were doing, but it is done well, even if it's accidental. Mm hmm. That's it. That's all I wanted. I put a note that I wanted to talk about that for a second, and I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come back in a different book and talk about it more. <laughs> yeah. We have plans for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Cassie's like, look, I want to help you, but also three of our group are already, like, really sick, and one of them will require brain surgery. Can the Yerk peace movement just, like, Deal with this on their own. Um, Ilum's speaking now. <laughs> yep. Uh, the peace movement is growing. We now have nearly a hundred members, but not all the Yerks in the movement have hosts, and not all the hosts the others have are suitable for battle. And he like, I love this. I love this. Ilum gave Mister Tidwell's paunch a pat. Can you ima- imagine trying to fight a Horkbajir in this? He asked. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that members of your group are ill. But when the Visser finishes with Aftran, he will know everything, and then every Yerk in the peace movement will be dead. Their hosts as well. Everyone who has ever helped you will be rounded up and made controllers. Everyone you care about will be made controllers. It will all end, Cassie. The defeat will be total and permanent. 
And Cassie has like a moment because, you know, this is. The tension is ramping the fuck up here. Like, we get, we had already, like, there was already a timetable on this, right? And then there's the timetable on Axe. And then suddenly this timetable gets much shorter. Mm-hmm. And Cassie is basically having to do this on her own right now because nobody else trusts Mr. Tidwell right. at all. And three people are out of commission, including jake the leader and she's got to be like okay i have to make a decision but holy shit how do i do this this is impossible oh no yeah she and she and then and then she's like okay but i have to do it yep there's no alternative uh and then she gets an idea yeah uh it's a good idea it is a good idea (laughs) Ilum, if you had to survive for a few hours outside Mr. Tidwell, could you? Without being in the York pool, I mean. And he's like, as long as I stayed in some kind of liquid environment, that'd be fine. I'm suspicious of why you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And like, he sounds puzzled. And she's like, but I wasn't puzzled. Not anymore. I had a plan. A totally terrifying plan, but a plan. Yep. It's... (sighs) We see very distinctly here the switch from the Cassie who second guesses everything she does to the Cassie who is a terrifying force of nature. Yes. Oh, my God. The rest of this book, she just goes. Yeah. Like, I'm. we'll get into it more, but she just fucking goes. And this is why I said if Cassie didn't have to think, mm-hmm. she would be a good leader. Mm-hmm. Because she makes good decisions the first time. Mm-hmm. And when she has to think about the decision that she either has made or is about to make, she second guesses herself to the point where she is paralyzed by her anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I feel that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel that deeply in yeah. my soul. But yeah, I love Cassie so much. Yeah. And I, I just, I love how, like, it's, it's almost a blink and you'll miss it moment. But like you pointed out, it's like she sits down, buries her face in her hands for a minute, thinks about how everything is hopeless and this is impossible, and then has the thought, but there was no alternative. I pushed myself to my feet and started to the door on shaky legs. Then she has her idea. And it's like... Because she she has to make a decision. She has to do this because no one else can. Yes. Because at this point, the three people, like, we're about to get into the next person, but, like, two out of three people who would be the leaders in this situation are out of commission. Axe has the potential to be a leader, but also he doesn't like doing it. Yeah, he would, he would not because he feels, he feels very strongly that he's just a cadet. Yeah, a poor thing. Um... (laughs) I get to play with that. I've started playing doing a game of Idiot Teenager with a Death Wish, and I get to have fun as Axe because somebody <laughs> didn't let him die. Listen, <laughs> honestly, if you're playing a game of Idiot Teenagers with a Death Wish and you're playing it straight with Andalites and Yerks, and the Andalite Prince comes down and crashes, crash lands, and offers you the power to morph, uh, and I say this with love to all of my dumb kids players, <laughs> um. But if you as the GM do not act extremely ruthlessly uh, and any of your players have read any Animorphs, 
They're going to rescue the Andalite. I know. They're gonna I know. do and it. I did not act ruthlessly whatsoever. I was very <laughs> like, I, like Cassie, second guess my decisions on things, and I'm still struggling to be a DM. But um, I get to play with Axe as a competent creature. Yeah. It's gonna be great. He is competent, but I get to be, he's an adult now. I get to have fun. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, so, yes. you know, the the leadership is is out. She just has, like, she has to make decisions or Marco has to make decisions in her mind at this point. Yep. She doesn't expect Tobias to make decisions because she knows he won't. Mm-hmm. If he absolutely has to, like, if she and Marco both were out of commission, she knows he could. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't want to, like, it's not stated. This is all subtext. She's not going to put that on him. Mm-hmm. She would never put that on him if she could avoid it. Mm-hmm. So she wants to, you know, she has this plan. Okay, Marco's the strategist. I need to bring it up with Marco. Mm-hmm. And that now we're in the next chapter where she's trying to figure out this plan with Marco. Yep. Uh, and Marco and- is being a little more head in the clouds Goofy? than usual. Goofy than usual. Um, because he is singing about the five little monkeys. Um, you know, five little monkeys jumping out of bed. One falls off. Cassie's <laughs> Cassie's trying to get him to talk about like Aftran and stuff, and he's just completely like ignoring her. Like it's it was a song, more of a chant, I guess, with little hand gestures. And then he he starts singing it, and Cassie finishes it. And it's like, yeah, can can we move on? And then he just keeps going, and she's like, "Are you good? <laughs> <laughs> Are you good? No, he's not." He's not good. <laughs> and she's like, you're scared, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, of course I'm fucking scared. <laughs> All of us are sick and Axe could die. And we have to try to go into the York pool with half our usual fighting force. Um, unless another half. one of us keels over in the next couple of hours, which could happen. Um, and Cassie's like, well, you're feeling okay, right? And she kind of checks his forehead and he's kind of warm, kind of clammy. And she's like, but he's been walking. He's just worked up a sweat. Definitely. No, that's not it at all. No, no. He's like, my eyes feel kind of weird, kind of gummy, but they showed a film in health today. That that yeah. could do it. I guess now that Rachel's out of it, I get to be in charge. Yep. You're the man. <laughs> so since I'm the leader, I should hear about this plan of yours then. And he switches his backpack uh, from between shoulders. Like he switches it to one shoulder, then the other. He's fidgeting. Mm-hmm. Marco doesn't fidget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not like this, at least. Uh, and Cassie says, uh, that she talked to Mr. Tidwell and, uh, Ilum, Mr. Tidwell's yerk, told me he could survive for several hours if he's in liquid. He doesn't have to be in the yerk pool or anything. I took a deep breath. I thought I could morph him and you want to morph a yerk? Marco demanded. He started to make loud barfing noises. I know it's kind of desperate, but my voice trailed off as Marco leaned into the bushes and threw up. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Another monkey just fell off the bed. Poor Cassie. Yep. Uh, and she tries to smile gravely for him, but of course she's feeling very scared and alone. And Marco says, got to think about one thing. What? What if, what if you pull it off? Then he collapsed and I was too busy hauling him back up to his feet to think about what he'd just said. Only later did it occur to me. Marco had seen the fatal flaw. If I succeeded, if I rescued Aftran, then what? I'd have an outlaw yerk without a host and worse by far, without access to life-giving Candrona rays. I could save Aftran only to watch her die. Uh, 
And oh, I love. Oh God, it's so good. It's very good, and I love how Marco immediately sees it. Like even if he's feeling like a little loopy and like out of it, he's just immediately is like he knows mm -hmm. he can't. The words don't work right, mm -hmm. so Cassie doesn't get it immediately. But he sees it mm -hmm. and he knows. And I'm just yeah. Actually, <sighs> what ma it makes me think that he only tells her this. Because he's had to have been thinking about this the entire time they've been talking about rescuing Aftran. Mm -hmm. It makes me think that he wasn't, like, he wasn't gonna burden Cassie with this, except then he gets sick, and now she's in charge. And she has to think about everything that could happen. Right, and she has to she think has about to it. She has to think all the options. And it makes me sad that Marco was, was trying to protect her from that, and then can't. Because now... Now Cassie is the leader. Because like I said before, Cassie's not going to put this on Tobias mm -hmm. whatsoever. Because Tobias... <laughs> I love Cassie. Tobias is a bird. <laughs> she thinks about Tobias as a bird a lot. Yeah. And it's like... And again, Tobias doesn't like making decisions like this. Mm -hmm. He actively hates it, actually. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> she's just... It's all on... And Marco knows this. Mm-hmm. In some way, because, you know, he's a strategist. He has to think about this. Like, what would Cassie be willing to do? What would Tobias be willing to do? Okay, Cassie's leader now. Mm -hmm. Poor Cassie. Uh, and so Cassie gets back to the barn. Uh, Axe's temperature is down to 92.8. Um, his temperature has gone down about 1.6 degrees, uh, not quite two points an hour. They had about eight hours before he hit the crisis, assuming it continues to fall at the same rate. Um, she fills Tobias in on what's going on, um, and she says she should make it back from the York Pool before Axe needs to operate. Um. If she made it back at all. Yeah. Uh, and she tells Tobias that, like, basically she's going in alone. Tobias has to stay here with Axe, and you might have to do the surgery if I don't come back in time. Um. And Tobias lets her know, like, he hasn't been able to figure out a pattern because it's just it's inconsistent in how it's dropped. Right. Um, uh, I like Tobias. If I have to do it myself, I have to do it myself. Try to finish saving the world early. You know more about medicine and stuff than I do. I'll skip the post-saving <laughs> the world party, yep. I promised. Um, oh, I love them. They're so good. Mm -hmm. This little, this little, this little jokiness between them, because if they don't, mm -hmm. they'll both cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Cassie thinks about how she really hopes that she'll be here when Axe hits the crisis, but she's not really sure that she would be able to do more than Tobias could. Um, because even though she's like splinted broken wings and given meds to animals, that's not the same stuffed thing as brain su surgery. Um, specifically stuffed a pill down a raccoon's throat, which is a very funny image. <laughs> so the raccoon's probably not happy. <laughs> oh no. Uh, and, uh, she thinks about how, uh, she could do more harm than good by performing brain surgery on Axe because the brain is very delicate. And if you make a cut in the wrong place, you can cause permanent damage. He'd lose his ability to thought speak or breathe that cause permanent damage. So easy to kill him. How could I live knowing I had killed a friend? Right. And she starts thinking about Aftran again. and. Because now she's thinking about what if she succeeds? Mm -hmm. Pulling out of the yurk pool meant excruciating Candrona starvation. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't know how Jake did it. How did he make life or death decisions and not go insane with guilt and grief? And oh, Cassie, yep. <laughs> you don't even know. Yeah. Oh. Um, Tobias said, uh, thought speaks that maybe he should go check with, check in with the others, which really he means he wants to go check on Rachel. And so she's like, yeah, go ahead. I'll head out in about an hour. Um, and he's like, I'll be back before then. She checks in on Axe. Uh, he and Eric have been playing rock, paper, scissor. Uh, Axe says that he understands rock smashing scissor and scissor cutting paper, but not paper wrapping rock. Rocks do not breathe, correct? So how would this hurt them? Paper beating rock. It is sort of weird, I answered. Weird, yes. That is why I now owe Eric one million and seven dollars, Axe told me. <laughs> I raised my eyebrows at Eric. He shrugged. One million and seven dollars. Is that a great deal of money? Asked Axe. Asked. It's up there, I answered, giving his arm a quick pat. Axe pointed his stock eyes toward the barn roof. I don't see it up there, he said. I mean, it's a lot. A lot of money, I explained. Axe kept his eyes focused upward. Wait, now I think I see it. I'll go get it. He took a step forward and a spasm raced through his body. That's okay, Eric said. Don't worry about it. We'll play more later and you'll win the money back from me. Axe didn't answer. He just kept staring at the ceiling. Eric says that Axe has been like this all day. He'll seem okay, and then he loses it. He's still delirious part of the time. Uh, they haven't had any really close calls with Cassie's dad, because Tobias has been there to kind of, like, scare him off Buzz if he ever cages. gets close. Um, Basically, Tobias just buzzes the cages and freak all the animals out to keep, his to keep like, uh, Cassie's dad busy. Right. <laughs> Tobias is just like, I'm gonna swoop over the rabbits. <laughs> So they scream. Mm -hmm. uh, Cassie tries to get Axe to tell her where the tria gland is. Uh, he's still delirious. You said the test wouldn't cover the tria gland, Axe complained. You said we didn't have to know the glands. Um, and she's like, it's not a test. You're not going to be graded. Uh, just guess. Where do you think it is? Uh, and then Cassie's dad comes into the barn. She rushes out of the hologram. Um, looking like she materialized out of thin air, trying to distract her dad, like, hey, you don't have to do anything out here. I've already fed and watered all the animals. And he's like, where were you hiding? I was sure the barn was empty. I was right here the whole time. Go get those bi-vocals, dad. Um, and her dad's like, you can't fool me. I know you were in that empty stall. And why? And she's like, you do? And he's like, you were pretending to be a horse, weren't you? Uh. Which is a game she apparently played as a small child, um, which is fucking adorable. Uh, and sad. Um, and she's just like, yeah, you caught me. Because mm -hmm. she can't bring herself to something like she hadn't played that game since she was a little kid. And also, she's got to keep up the facade that, like, there's nothing in there. It was just her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sad now. <laughs> <laughs> um. It, that killed me last night. I had to like put my phone down and like pet my cat because no. I was just like, eh. Uh, so Cassie putters around the barn for a little while. She feeds and waters all the animals. She kind of gets starts to get the like operating room in in kind of a a, a place where she, she, she gets would what use she the, needs yeah. basically, and then she tries to figure out what she can use. To make a hole in Axe's skull. Yeah. Uh, she finds... Yeah. Because it's probably not too big, and also you don't want to, like, crack his skull open. 
Yeah, and her dad doesn't usually saw through bone much, and if he does, it's probably to amputate something, so he uses just, like, a saw. Mm-hmm. Like a sterilized saw. But, so she's like, hey, I find something that will not kill Axe. Yeah, uh, but she finds a woodworking hole saw. Um, it's a hole bore. Yeah, uh, and throws that in the sterilizer, takes out a bunch of other supplies she thought she might need. Uh, and then she hears Tobias coming back into the barn. She starts to ask what, uh, you know, like how, like Rachel, how Rachel is. is. And he's like, I didn't get there. And I started to feel bad. And he kind of just like runs into run of the, one of the rafters. Just thunk. Uh, head first, plummets to the floor. Cassie rushes over. Um, he's alive. Cause that could kill him. It could kill he him. He's a bird. Uh, but he is alive. He's groggy. Uh, so she. I swear I didn't drink the punch. She puts him in one of the animal cages because, like, it's honestly the best place for him because her dad could definitely take care of him. Um, and she's like, I have to put you next to a golden eagle. I know you hate them, but it's the only room available right now. And he's like, what are you doing? And he, uh, she doesn't want to go. <laughs> yeah. it's She puts him in the empty cage, latches the door. You're locking me up? No way. I want out of here. He struggled to his feet and puffed his feathers. I grabbed a chart and noted that r- the red-tailed hawk appeared disoriented. I added that I thought it had stunned itself flying into one of the rafters. If there were other symptoms, my dad would know how to handle them. At least I didn't have to worry about Tobias. I had to worry about Axe more. If he went into crisis while I was in the earth pool, there would be no one to operate. Tobias gnawed on one of the cage's metal bars with his beak. <laughs> oh, just stop it, I snapped. You're in the best place you can possibly be. I have no time, no time, no time for any crap, okay? Okay, he said meekly. Yes, ma'am, Eric said from the last <laughs> stall. <laughs> Tried to get a grip of myself. I took a couple of deep breaths. Didn't work. I wasn't calm. Yeah. I love it, Eric. Yeah, from across the bar, just yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, buddy, <laughs> you're fine. You didn't do anything. Yep. <laughs> it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I love Cassie so much. Yep. Uh. <laughs> So, moving right along, she runs into the house. She tells her mom that she's doing a report on animal brain surgery and does her mom have any books? Uh, and so her mom pulls down a couple books and hands it to her and Cassie lies. Does not question why she's doing a report on animal brain surgery whatsoever. It's fine. Um, it's fine. This is normal. Yeah. Uh, Cassie lies, says, well, she doesn't lie about Rachel having the flu, but she says Rachel's having the flu and then lies and says that she's going to go keep Rachel company uh, so that her mom doesn't worry. Her mom's like, well, don't you get it? Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of focuses on her mom's coffee cup for a second as like probably one of those grounding moments. Mm-hmm. Um, like, okay, I remember this. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's also another juxtaposition of like this family moment. And Cassie's here lying to her mom about where she's going and how she could very well die on this mission. Um, mm-hmm. And how she can't really say any of the things that she wants to say to her mom on what is possibly the last time she'll ever see her. Uh, but it's fine. Uh, it's fine. So she goes back out to Axe. Um, Axe's temperature has dropped almost a whole degree in less than an hour, which is bad. Um, but she doesn't have any choice. She just has to hope that uh, the temperature will drop slower. Um, and then 
She tells Eric this. Eric, Tobias is sick now, too. I had to put him in one of the cages, I told him. If Axe reaches his crisis before I get back. I really didn't want to say this, but I had to. You can't go to my father or anyone else for help, I finished. What I was really telling Eric was that he had to let Axe die. Eric nodded. I understand. If Axe was lucid, he'd understand, too. I knew he would. Axe was a trained warrior cadet. You'd know that sometimes one member of a team had to be sacrificed to save the rest. I turned to Axe and rested my palm against his forehead. Can you hear me, Axe? I asked. I felt him move the tiniest bit under my hand. Had he heard me? Was he trying to answer? I couldn't be sure. Sorry, Axe, I whispered. I'd stay with you if I could. I felt hot tears stinging my eyes and I blinked them away. You understand, don't you? I continued. I have to try and save all of us, not just you. I slowly slid my hand away from his forehead. Then I turned and rushed out of the stall without another word. I grabbed my bike from its spot, propped beside the barn door. I hopped on and pedaled hard. I wasn't going far. Good, old-fashioned, normal bike would be easiest. I pedaled away from Axe and Tobias and Eric, away from my parents, away from Jake, Marco, and Rachel. I was all alone. I slammed my feet down on the pedals, trying to burn off some of the fear building inside of me. Trying to block out all the what-ifs. What if I didn't get back before Axe reached his crisis? What if my plan didn't work? What if I got sick before I could save Aftran? What if I screwed up? What if, what if, what if? What if I killed Aftran when I had the chance? I slowed down as I thought about that one. I'd been alone when I faced that moment, too. Alone, I had made the choice to let Aftran live. It had turned out to be the right choice. Aftran hadn't betrayed me or the other Animorphs. She'd gone on to do important work in the Yurk peace movement. If I got Aftran out of the Yurk pool before the Visser interrogated her, the peace movement would continue. The Animorphs would continue to fight. If I failed... Uh, You're 13! And I love this as just emphasizing how alone Cassie is. Um... It's very good at not only showing, like, the kinds of decisions that Cassie now has to take on herself and, like, the kind of choices that they're having to make about choosing, choosing between saving Aftran and saving Axe, um, and how, like, there, there is a right answer there and how terrible that right answer is, Mm -hmm. um, and how she, she's all alone and has to make that decision. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot for Cassie to think it's about. So much. Yeah. Just, just thinking about Cassie and like, I feel like we see, we see just a little bit of all of the others in her with this like you know she gives the order to eric to let let axe die if she's not back she tells axe that she'd stay with him if she could like tobias would um she tells him that she has to try and save all of them not just axe like marco would um and i'm just over here like and then she goes like rachel would yeah um and multiple times in this mission she'll be like let's do it because someone has to say it and rachel isn't there um and so it's just like cassie 
channeling her friends, um, even though they're not there with her. And I have a lot of emotions. It's so much. Um, She is having a bad time, and she's doing her best. Yep. And her best isn't terrible. Like, no. But it's so much to put on her. Yeah. Because her acting like this, like, as much as it's like she is at her best when she doesn't have time to second guess herself, doing this is exhausting for her. Mm hmm. Because for her, emotionally and mentally, this is not the best way that she works. Right. Which is why she's <clears throat> not the leader. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much like she's having to, like, we see all of these different roles in her because she's having, like, all of them are necessary for the group to work. Yeah. Like, you have to have all of them in order for the group to work. And if only one of them is present, you have to have a little bit of all of them in that one. Um. And yeah, it it's just it hurts me um, so much. So she rides up to Mr. Tidwell's house um, and goes into the into his into his home, um, kind of like walks in like she knows what she's doing, even though she doesn't. And he's like, where are the others? And she's like, they're sick. And he's like, it's just you. And she's like, yeah, me, me or no one. This is all you got. <laughs> and he's like, oh no. And he's, he's nervous. He's super nervous. He's like fidgeting. He's blurting things out. He's rubbing his finger around his ear. Um, totally freaked out. Um, Cassie is trying very hard to keep a lock on it. <laughs> like, hold on. No emotions. We're not allowed to have emotions in this right now. <laughs> um, and she she has to take the lead. She's mm-hmm. she's she makes a decision on where they're going to do the thing. Um even though and she leads the way through the house like even though he was a teacher and I was a kid, there wasn't time to waste on all that. Mm-hmm. Um so they go into the kitchen uh and Mr. Tidwell's like, "Now?" and she's like, "Yep, let's do it. <laughs> no time but the present." Uh and so <laughs> Mr. Tidwell just like leans over the table and Ilum crawls out of his ear. It's um, described really grossly. It's it's so fucking gross. Uh and it's meant it's to be. So gross. But it's it just is. like I'm Yerks are gross. It's really, really gross. Um, and it doesn't get better. <laughs> it doesn't get better. Um but the Yerk falls onto the table and Cassie has like an involuntary reaction of just like jumping back because Iwa Yerk and she's like she has to remind herself it's Ilum. I know this person. Um it it's it's extra because like she knows like what the Yerks as a whole do and she's like horrified and revolted by that. And then it, Yerks are just weird little gray slugs. Mm-hmm. And they're just gross looking. Yep. So it's like compounded that like this little gross thing mm-hmm. also like on the whole as as like a group does bad things but this one does not Mm -hmm. this one is fine yep uh and then we get this line from mr tidwell um now that ilum is not in his head anymore it always makes me feel i don't know 
empty. And it's just like, dude, that's so gay. That's so gay, right? (laughs) Are you... (laughs) You ever just have your boyfriend live in your head? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Full time? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yep. Uh, But anyway, so Cassie acquires Ilum. Uh, Mr. Tidwell puts Ilum in a Ziploc bag with water, Filled with water and puts it like in his inside <laughs> jacket pocket. Um, and uh, he's wearing a corduroy jacket, just by the way, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> he is such a teacher. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, if something goes wrong, Visser Three could find out I'm the one who brought you in. If that happens, he'll kill us. Yeah. Well, he's been trying to do that for a long time, but here I am. I said. Then I laughed at my own bravado channeling marco yeah uh mr tidwell smiled you were always a good student unlike jake who never quit completely applies himself and she's like well i wish jake were here now it's time i have to do this it's kind of gross to watch which is the understatement of the fucking century cassie mr, mr. tidwell <laughs> i think i can handle it are you sure bro you cannot you i promise cannot. you you cannot you cannot the description of this morphing is awful we're not i don't want to read i'm it. not it's gonna read it if there's a lot of talk of like the yerk slime it's gross as hell it like, is really gross i did like i didn't like feel sick but i did have the kind of just eh, reaction to reading yeah. it yeah like eh, bad i don't like this yep uh yeah it's it's just really it's very descriptive it's very well written it's just bad <laughs> Um, it's, it's super gross. It is the end of chapter 18 that this happens. Yeah. Mr. Tidwell is, of course, horrified. Cassie thinks he's screaming, but, but she, she can't, can't hear him, him because her point. ears are gone. The last thing to change are her eyes, which just like, I don't want to uh, think about a yerk with only human eyes. Thanks. Like, <laughs> bad. Um, and then his face disappears as her eyes dissolve completely. Um, and she becomes and- smaller and smaller. And then she's a yerk. Um, and she's just on Mr. Tidwell's kitchen floor, deaf, blind, and she can only just kind of wiggle. <laughs> yep. Uh, she's like, how am I going to get to Tidwell's ear? Uh, fuck if I know. I didn't think this all the way through. <laughs> but Tidwell just, like, picks her up. Um, she also realizes that uh, Yerks have, like, weird, like, echolocation or mm-hmm, sonar. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she could, like, see, air quotes, like, Mr. Tidwell, like, come closer and then like felt herself get picked up yep uh and her sonar picks up the shape of an ear uh and then her yerk instincts kick in hard um and she begins to go into mr tidwell's ear which is also like mm, mm -mm. yeah it's a lot um (laughs) it's we get description about how uh the yerks use some kind of painkiller to deaden the canal so it doesn't hurt um they're surprisingly strong yep they're surprisingly strong pushing aside bones and tissue um they puncture flesh which is probably puncturing the eardrum to get further in um and uh getting inside the head um i inched along until i felt the faint tingle of electricity and i'm gonna just read this yep go for it because this is important uh yes yes this is what i was looking for the brain the neurons fired microvolts around me as I stretched. It, I was paper thin, spread like hammered down silly putty. 
I pressed myself into the cracks and crevices of the brain. Ah, now I could feel it. The neurons were connecting to me, making me a part of this strange, wondrous new body. I felt the yerk's jolt of awe and pleasure at its new mobility, at its new size and strength and power. It was a visceral, non-conscious, non-intellectual animal pleasure. I touched the brain's center of hearing. Ah, it was like being alive again. The sound of water dripping into the sink sounded beautiful. Then I touched the centers for sight. It was lights on after being forever in a mine shaft. Overwhelming. Joyful. It was dazzling, dizzying delirium. Aftran was so right when she told me humans live amidst splendor and magnificence. Mr. Tidwell's red and white checked tablecloth was a sight to be relished and lingered over. The... Cassie. Cassie, what are you doing? We have to leave, I heard a voice call. Mr. Tidwell, speaking only in thought. Can't you figure out how to move my body? He asked, sounding panicked. I could have stood in Mr. Tidwell's kitchen all night, allowing myself to feel the yerk's joy at every new sensation. But I had a job to do, and not much time. I clamped down on my yerk desire to explore the new world. I wasn't sure how to use the connections between me and Mr. Tidwell to control him, but the yerk knew. I allowed it to open sections of Mr. Tidwell's brain. Some sections controlled physical functions like moving muscles, but some held memories. As I tapped into these areas, I was flooded with images from Mr. Tidwell's life. Mr. Tidwell sitting in this kitchen, the sink overflowing with dirty dishes, the counters spattered with food stains, the smell of garbage heavy in the air. A younger, thinner Mr. Tidwell in the same kitchen, but now sparkling clean and cheerful, standing next to his wife, flicking soap suds at her. Mr. Tidwell walking into a classroom on his first day as a teacher, feeling proud and nervous as he wrote his name on the board and turned to face the class. Mr. Tidwell climbing into his bed last night and carefully placing his wife's picture on the pillow beside him. I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to go pawing through Mr. Tidwell's memories. I wished I could apologize to him, but even though I could hear his thoughts, I didn't know how to send him my thoughts back. I continued searching his brain, backing away any time I hit memory. But memory was everywhere. I was invading every secret, destroying all privacy. I felt ashamed. I tried to move a hand. It moved. I tried to form speech. It was easy. Okay, I think I've got it, I muttered in Mr. Tidwell's voice. I took a step and bumped into the table. Don't worry, I'm kind of klutzy, Mr. Tidwell said. I appreciated him trying to joke. I took another step, didn't hit anything. I slowly headed out the front door, feeling more at ease in my new body with every motion. I climbed into Mr. Tidwell's car. I didn't know how to drive, but Mr. Tidwell did, and anything he knew how to do, I now knew how to do. Uh, and it goes on with them driving to the McDonald's and ordering a Happy Meal with Extra Happy, uh, and going through the Gleet biofilter and stepping out into the stairway down into the Yerk pool. Uh, but just like this whole sequence is so good on so many levels. It's really visceral. Like, the way that, like, Cassie constantly, for the first part of this book, is thinking, how do Yerks experience being in a body? And then experiencing it? Mm -hmm. And realizing, like, yeah, it's nuanced, but not the way that she was thinking. Mm -hmm. But also, at the same time, exactly how she was thinking. Right. As, like, a whole slew of new experiences. Mm -hmm. And then getting to deal with the 
side that she probably has never really thought about before, which is the Yerks know everything about a host. Mm -hmm. And knowing everything about Mr. Tidwell, everything he's experienced, every thought he's had. Yeah. And not being able to really stop it. Mm -hmm. Because, and I really like that they have put this here. It's like, your brain doesn't have a center for memories, right? Like, there is no one spot in your brain that holds memory. It's like... Because memory is associated with everything you learn how to do as a person. Yeah, it's, it's like littered throughout your brain. And so I really like that it's like, as she's searching for, like, how to drive, how to do things, like, even the just the fact of, like, looking at this kitchen, she is assaulted with memories of this kitchen. Um, and I really, because that's how our brains work. Even yeah. if we aren't consciously r recalling these memories, like I, I have a bunch of books in front of me, right? Mm -hmm. I have a copy of Watership Down that I found at the thrift store a while back. I still have to read it. Um, and like, look, if I see it, I'm just like, oh, there's my copy of Watership Down. But somewhere in my brain, it is recalling me seeing the book at the thrift store and going, oh shit, Watership Down, let me get this. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not even anything I'm consciously doing. It's just there. Yeah. Because that is what my brain is like, ah, that object. Mm -hmm. This is what I remember. I know this about this object. Mm -hmm. This is important, even if I'm not actively remembering it. Yep. Brains are weird. Yeah. Brains are really weird. And I love, I love the description of, uh, like the yerk interacting with the brain and just like that animal pleasure it gets from the experience. Yeah. Um, and just like, I, I especially love it juxtaposed with what we get a little bit later about the yerk pool. Um, mm -hmm. because it like shows the two halves. Um, and we'll get into that when we, when we get to the second bit, but like, yeah. I love it here as just like this. It's showing that saying it isn't, animal pleasure mm -hmm. means that like the this is something that like the yerks can do yeah and we don't get it yet but this maybe is not something that like quote unquote they're supposed to it's like humans drinking alcohol <laughs> we're not supposed yeah. to do that mm -hmm. we do it because <laughs> um, we can yeah and it's i like it described on this kind of instinctual level um but it's and this is this is a part of the book that I do actually remember from when I read it as a kid. Because mm -hmm. like you know, this was the last book that I read that I remember reading. Like this was when uh I really first started talking about Animorphs with Danielle. I was like, what is it? Which book is this book? And specifically was like, I think it was Cassie, and she was a yerk. <laughs> <laughs> and Danielle knew immediately, um, because I remember Cassie being a yerk. Mm -hmm. And controlling somebody and like experiencing that. And honestly, the first half of this book didn't remember whatsoever for some reason. The second half, I remember way too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I forgot. Oh, yeah. Axe needs brain surgery. <laughs> I don't know how I forgot that part, but I remembered Cassie being a yerk. Yeah. Um, and it's wild what my brain remembers. Mm -hmm. Um. Also, at this point in the book is when, like, all of my notes just become weird because <laughs> I'm, like, emotionally in it. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, the rest of this is just like extremely fast paced action. Um, but yeah, uh, oh man, it just goes. Yeah. I also really want to point out Mr. Tidwell here because like, I just, I love him as a person. He's so good. He's so good. And like, just the amount. They're like, this is the strictest teacher and he's really, he's just a dude. Yeah. Uh, and don't think about how his strictness probably comes from him being extremely depressed. Uh, uh and then controlled by a yerk. Um, you've done this. You made me think about it. <laughs> don't think about just like the sheer volume, the metric tons of trust that he has to put in Cassie. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, I mean, and there is a degree where like, even if he doesn't, no, no, Cassie. He is one of Cassie's teachers. Mm -hmm. And teachers learn to know kids. Mm -hmm. Not like as a friend, but they see things that a lot of times kids' parents don't see. Mm -hmm. And so he knows on some level, Cassie is not the kind of person who is going to take advantage of this situation. Mm -hmm. Because she's not that person. Cassie strikes me as the kind of person who is constantly helping other people in class. Mm -hmm. She is, if she doesn't have, like, if somebody doesn't have the answer, instead of her answering, she may help the other person. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, she'll probably, you know, if somebody, like, doesn't, like, if, if Mr. Tilwell is like, okay, everybody pair up for a thing. If somebody doesn't have a partner or some, like, got snubbed by a bunch of other people, Cassie may go and be like, hey, you want to be partners? Mm -hmm. She's that kind of person. Mm -hmm. She's very kind. So the amount of trust that he is putting in her is from what he knows about her as a student, mm -hmm. I think. That's how I've I've read it. And it's really good. I've had teachers who I didn't have weird relationships with my teachers, <laughs> but they trusted me to a degree mm -hmm. in a way that like meant that they like they knew I wasn't going to take advantage of that trust, like mm -hmm. to do certain things. They allowed me to do certain things or they entrusted me with certain tasks. You know, like I was allowed to go to the bathroom and they weren't worried I was going to stay in there for half an hour. Kind of vibes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was a goody two shoes. Same. Uh, <laughs> I also like him trying to reassure her, like, don't worry, I'm kind of klutzy, even though he is clearly freaking the fuck out <laughs> it's the adult urge he's a teacher it's yep. the adult urge to make sure cassie is still a kid yes she is doing something fucking buck wild right now and that she has been in con like in control of this situation but he is still the adult in this situation and he knows she as much as he is freaking out she is freaking out mm -hmm. and he has to be the adult and make sure that she can do what she needs to do mm -hmm. and it is I love Mr. Tidwell so much. Me too. If he dies, I'm going to be upset. <laughs>